Never in the history of the world have the merchants of obscenity had available to them the modern facilities for disseminating this filth. Disseminating this filth. The onslaught of the communist masters of deceit. Bingo. Sluts. Pinko. Comma. Sluts. Pinko. Comma. Sluts. Pinko. Comma. Sluts. Ho, 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 ho. Hello, hello, <laughs> hello, Steve. Hello, Marlo. Yeah. Tommy home. Excellent, excellent. We're all here on this chill December Eve. Which um, came true? Which was it? No. Oh, nice. It did. It did snow. I still have not gotten snow. No snow down there. No, absolutely not. It's called the Cape May Bubble. What? It is a zone of America that never snows. It's basically like Ebenezer and the Scrooge team together to create an area. And that area is where I grew up and was a child. We don't get snow. For real? That's wild to me that I have never come across this knowledge before. Yeah, uh, it never. It's just you're not allowed to have Christmas joy. It's terrible. Oh. I am oh. under the impression of the Grinch right now. Well, you know what? I personally twenty miles north of me has six inches of snow. I have zero snow. Wow! So like no snow days growing up. <laughs> we had occasional hurricane days. Oh, okay. We had flood days, but more than flood days, we had days that they did not give us off from school that I had to drive my car into school and the school was underwater. Underwater. Yeah, but they didn't give us off. But we did occasionally have flood days. But for the most part, it was just like you'd just be driving to school and you'd be like, oh, well, that road doesn't work or like isn't there. And then like you'd eventually get to a road where you're like, "Okay, I guess I'm going to do it. And then like the power steering would like short out. It would just be like, oh, I shouldn't be driving my car here. But uh, no, we almost never had snow days growing up. I never experienced the joy of snow. Well, I mean, I did occasionally. For the most part, we didn't. It was a thing you heard about. Never got to experience. It was in the winds. I guess this is our Christmas episode, right? Is this coming out on Christmas? Is that when we're going to... Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I, I suppose. I mean... Well, I like to do a full... 12 days situation. (laughs) I like how saturated uh, the end of the year is with holidays around the winter solstice. Super into that. Uh, 
The fact of the matter is the sun has been being defeated by darkness progressively every day of the year. Oh, God. And And it's going to be the longest, darkest night. Just After uh, December 21st, we can only mm -hmm. hope that the pattern continues (laughs) and eventually there is no daylight. Um, uh, that's her goal. And then the uh, sun's gonna come. The, sun. the Chad sun's gonna come out here. <laughs> as as a Norwegian, I approve. Fuck the goddamn sun. I hope that the god of darkness defeats it. May a pep uh, finally swallow Ra whole. Wow, am I the only pro sun member of this podcast? I'm a pro winter sun. Black hole. Sun. I'm a pro black hole sun also. Yeah, definitely. Won't you come to wash away the rain? And then, like, make everybody's eyes real big. Yeah. Yeah, that happens. And there's just pandemonium, and, like, 12-year-olds are just tripping the fuck out. They're like, what is going on on MTV? Oh, my God, it's 1994. Won't you come? Won't you come? Yeah, well, I personally, anyway, I'm going to go on record as saying I love the sun. I welcome your return this winter solstice. Every winter solstice, I am honestly throwing my support in for the forces of darkness. Mm-hmm. I, I 100% am hoping that the god of the night continues that the next, on December 22nd, the night is slightly longer and it continues until there's no more day. Uh, that's what I hope for every year. Every year I'm disappointed, but I have a good feeling about this year. As a ginger, I'm also preordained ah, to being anti sun. It's my dark Mediterranean features that are Allow you. <laughs> influencing my um, <laughs> influencing my feelings about the sun here. I didn't consider that. You didn't consider that. Yeah. Well I, Honestly, I didn't consider this is eugenic. A big goy privilege moment of bunnies. <laughs> you should come to terms with that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I can't help it. I'm all emotional outbursts. Yeah, that's what Obama says. Yes, I'm referencing. Was it a post article or I don't? It was know from his was. book. Like, no, yeah, it's from his book. But the article was pointing out, like, oh, he used these tropes, and the lefty media didn't even okay, notice. They and the poll quote—they are not anti-Semitic like, tropes. They're anti-Hellenistic tropes. Yeah, and which that's is what's fine. the funny part. The which funny is part. correct and fine because yeah. we've all met. The fiery Greek. We know what the fiery Greek is. And yeah, they need to be called out in our media. I don't will they ever. I just, don't they ever. Any I, president who puts a stop to this menace. <laughs> Sarkozy. Sarkozy. No, it, was, Sarkozy. it was Sarkozy. It was a yes, Sarkozy reference. Yes, I'm, apparently Sarkozy is basically a Sephardic Jew. Yes, but uh, uh, but Obama said a quarter Greek Jew. That part is a quote from the book, correct? Yeah. And, uh, and he has fiery Mediterranean blood, doesn't listen yeah. to reason <laughs> no. because yeah. he's so passionate and fiery and Mediterranean and doesn't use a fucking normal alphabet like a human. True. Um, Unlike Obama, who's like, uh, let's just... Oh, I uh, think there's a... Uh, drone him there. Just drone uh, him there. Oh, yeah. oh, did I kill too many people? 
Oops. No. Yeah, anyway. It's my own Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> is a weird island dwelling fuck. His like, oh my god, Helen of Troy is hot. I should start a war or something. I don't know what the Greeks do. No one uh, does. Well, the, the Iliad does indeed start with a scene of Achilles crying to his mother, the goddess Thetis, on a beach. The opening is, you know, sing muse of the rage of Achilles. He's really upset right now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Agamemnon stole his spoils, you see. And that's what he's mad about. And then, you know what he gets mad about later is that his beloved Patrocles goes out. He, he's refusing to fight in the war, you know. Then his beloved, his cousin, his roommate, <laughs> Patrocles, uses Achilles' armor, goes out, gets killed. And then uh, Achilles goes ape shit, kills Hector, foregoes the way you're supposed to do war things drags the body around a bunch of times and then the Iliad just ends with them being like hey hey we're gonna chill out and do uh, funeral games <laughs> yeah I think it's founded congrats to anybody who didn't know that is indeed the story of Achilles <laughs> uh- <laughs> I mean all once again quote uh, the Greeks eat the lamb because it's the only animal the Greeks can outsmart <laughs> <laughs> Also, the only meat you roast longer, it gets more tender. It's magic. Actually, <laughs> most meats, if you roast longer, they get... Yeah, I know, I know. I will say, though... Uh, Literally, actually, the theory of pulled pork mm-hmm. and brisket and also brisket. Uh, both the Ashkenazi and Texan barbecue versions of brisket. Both. I like both of those briskets. Yeah, and they both operate... Perfectly frank on a uh, basis that if you roast them longer, they become more tender. I will say, though, I'm really into all the weird northern European winter traditions. I think this is where northern European culture shines. Hell yeah, my people. You know what I mean? I think it's they're the snow people. I have. It's, it's well known I make a problematic claim to the Sami people. In Scandinavia. I call them Sammy. <laughs> but, uh, um, just don't call them Laplanders. I call but, them. Uh, they got the reindeer. They're I call them Eskimos. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I do enjoy Krampus got really popular. That's kind of an Eastern European, Germanic sort of thing. Krampus got really popular. I would really like the Welsh. Oh, third thumb skeleton horse fuck. Yeah, Mari Lude. Okay, no. Put it this way. It's a skeleton horse that comes to your house that you have to sing back and forth with or it won't go away. We all have a skeleton horse that has haunted us for the past 20 years because we didn't sing good enough. And, you know, I think we should get to a point where we stop bragging about it. I'm really into that. I Like I said before, I'm into spooky Christmas traditions. Of course, the best Christmas story is objectively a Christmas carol. <laughs> really? Uh, I yeah, like Die it's Hard. a ghost, a Christmas ghost story for I'm Die Hard. Different. There's no ghost to Die Hard for <laughs> I, that. <laughs> I'm a different, not conventional type, and I uniquely to the a stream of history believe that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Have I blown your mind yet? <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Anyway, yes, I'm into spooky winter traditions, different ways that different cultures want to look. You're in the minority here, Marlo. Most mm. people are like, let's light a bunch of shit on fire. Let's bring on some light. I like anything that where people light stuff on fire. Yeah, no, and I, I think I'm that should be that. the only source of light that humans. So have. I'm so I'm into Yule, right? I'm into yeah, no, the and, Yule the, stuff. and the cool thing about winter festivals is lighting a fire in the darkness, which presupposes darkness. And mm -hmm. I like winter festivals so much, I don't think there should be not darkness. I got you. Also, I just have to point out, my breath smells like anise right now. And <laughs> you, were I, you drinking ouzo? We have our Greek night we do. So my mom did a, uh, well, so I helped. But yeah, we did a vegetarian moussaka, which is okay, nice. essentially moussaka with impossible ground beef. But otherwise, it's moussaka. I did the bechamel. It was a good bechamel. Uh, we mm -hmm. did some homemade hummus. I did an Arab salad, which... What's, wait, 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 wait. What does that consist of? Okay, it's known by the Israelis as an Israeli salad. <laughs> it's known by the Arabs as an Arab salad. Based on my experience with that fucking area of the world, I assume the Greeks just call it a Greek salad, but not that kind of Greek salad. Okay. No, it's just uh, it's cucumbers, uh, red onion, tomato, olive oil, lemon juice, salt, pepper. Oh, so yeah, there's no lettuce. Yeah, there's no lettuce. No, it's just it's a collection of vegetables you put on your pita so, yeah. with the rest of it. It's yeah, delicious. that's uh uh, the Greeks also. also claim that as a thing. Well, in, in, a, in the Americas, you find it as a Greek village salad a lot of places or a horyotaka okay, salad. So, yeah, and, I... Uh, because anything with feta cheese on it is a fucking Greek yeah, salad. That's the so. only defining feature of a Greek salad. Yeah, I, I uh, lived in an Israeli neighborhood for like a year and it was called an Israeli salad. I've talked to Arabs who insist they invented the idea of putting some vegetables together. Yeah, like... <laughs> The entire fucking region is based on, like, claiming some very basic food stuff as a thing you came up with. So, yeah, I did an Arab salad. I call it an Arab salad because I do not support Zionism. Oh, we've been doing homemade yogurt in the uh, Instant Pot I got my mom last year. Uh, nice. So we did some tzatziki off of that, and also we drained some of it into some, like, Lepna-like substance. Mm. Yeah, no, we do a whole fucking spread. The main course is, of course, the moussaka, though, which is, like, mad good. I'm pleased to hear this. <laughs> no, yeah, I love your people as a thing I can voyeuristically, like, appropriate certain foodstuffs from. I feel like the person I associate with most in history is the curator from the British Museum from 1870. <laughs> uh, like 100%. I, I understand uh, why you would want to steal from their culture, but not actually be a part of their culture, because it sounds like a fucking nightmare. But I would absolutely steal from you guys, like, all day. Fucking rules. Oh, yeah. It's very appropriable. Yeah, no, I invent a whole thing called the White Western Man and just steal it from you guys. Fucking mm -hmm. nuts. 
That's right. Anyway, silver That's bells, right. silver bells. It's Christmas time in the city. Also, I have not watched the second half of that. So oh, I'm, you're such a di- oh no, then you didn't get to I'm not possibly a, a crucial no. part. Okay, no, I watched the first half very intensely. This whole movie requires a social element that I don't have access to because, as has been alluded to, I live with my goddamn parents. But yeah, a hundred percent, I I get the value of this movie. It's fun as shit. I love the movie. I can talk very intensely about the first half of this movie. Okay, so I guess we're getting into it, right? Hey, why didn't you see the second half of it? I wrote because notes. I was watching the first half of it. And I got to the, like, first half mark, and I was like, I need to take a break because this is too much. And then I just didn't get to the second half. Man, I took notes. I got lots of notes. Me too. I'm looking for my first page. Most of those notes to you guys as I was taking them. So, of course, everyone. There was a quality, like, terrible movie. So I say terrible, uh, this was a a Lifetime movie, R.A. American Christmas tradition. I suggested we all watch what I believe to be a classic, the 2013 movie Christmas in the City. The city, everyone, never identify (laughs) and like we're all good with that it's It's the city in capital letters barely LA there ain't no love in the heart of it it could be New York no I mean no it's not New York because there's a couple things that they do where they mention Broadway like it's another place Mm-hmm. It, it's yeah. L.A. I, I looked it up. Or at least it was filmed in L.A. Yeah, it was well, filmed yeah, in L.A. It's obviously filmed but. in L.A., but also in their use of signs and signifiers, I still maintain it could be New York and Broadway. No, it is obviously intentionally supposed to be a city, the big city that you could project any, right, any place onto. That's Well, yeah, that they purposely didn't identify it, but I do think that they indicated it wasn't New York. No, because you're also bringing into it a pre-established prejudice that Broadway happens to be a street in New York and not itself a signifier. No, motherfucker, not Broadway the street. Broadway where people do Broadway shows. Right, exactly, and that's my point. Canonically in New York. That's not something that is going to... But in this universe, it just exists in its own... Yeah, yeah, no, Broadway is just an idea that if you do musicals hard enough... Okay, look, all right, Marlo, you half-watching son of a bitch. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) I'm just... No, All right, everyone. Okay. I just want to look. I am uh, trying to give some thought to the fact that somebody might listen to this and still not have a great idea what we're talking about. So, right. Um, like I said, 2013 Lifetime movie, Christmas in the City. They never identify the city. I'm going <laughs> to give you the lead that showed up on my streaming service <laughs> a grouchy, money hungry store manager who tries to ruin Christmas is foiled by a single mom and her daughter. The grouchy money hungry store manager is played by Ashanti, which is the entire reason why I originally in like 2016 watched this movie. I said, Ashanti, all right, I'll watch it. I knew that. Um, I knew that was the reason you watched it. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let me just, before we like dive into it, not only do I think is it a quintessential Christmas Lifetime movie, it's also got some of the best tropes in general from really lowbrow rom-coms. But they're done so like, I don't know. They're They're not subtle. It's like a community theater troupe is doing it. I love it. I love it. These are not all people who have no career uh, who aren't on other things. That's also the funny part, too. I didn't um, recognize anyone other than Ashanti. Oh, do you watch Shameless? The best friend character, Angie. Oh, she's, she's a main okay. character on Shameless. Okay. The main character, Wendy. Wendy Carroll. What a Christmas uh, name. I know she was on, like, How I Met Your Mother. Like, she's one of the significant Ted girlfriends from that really, she really terrible cares show. about Christmas trees and real Christmas trees versus fake Oh, Christmas my trees. God. This is a Give some plot. For sure Give some for plot. The first trope you get is you find out Wendy, the main character, she's a small town girl. Everyone loves her. She's got a sort of uh, beginning of Beauty and the Beast-esque walk through her small town's like main street, essentially. Okay, yeah. And they're all like, hello, Wendy. Oh, oh, we're getting the things out for Christmas. But there's another trope that gets introduced immediately. It's her daughter, Mm -hmm. right? She's a single mom, as Mm -hmm. established. The daughter is the precocious child looking to pimp out their single parent, Mm -hmm. which is something that does not exist in reality and specifically shows up in romantic comedies of a certain caliber to like kind of gloss over any messiness you could potentially imagine would occur there right so like within the first two minutes this kid is like gee mom like wouldn't it be great if you had a boyfriend like (laughs) like immediately like or no she says to the bus driver who's driving her to school is this my mom mom, pretty yeah my mom got a haircut and it's like and on this rewatch i was like i i watched with the idea that this kid's a creep (laughs) well it's also (laughs) her name is grace her name is Grace. The mother's name is Wendy. Grace and Wendy Carroll. So Wendy Carroll is a small town, blah, blah, blah. After dropping her daughter off, she goes to Carol's okay, Candy. You're on. like, oh, her family's got a candy shop. It's also uh, very much what a creepy Florida mom will like try and coach her daughter into doing is, hey, you should tell the bus driver how pretty I look with my new haircut. Fair enough. But the way that this movie plays it it's like this kid's independently a creep right so like, wish fulfillment for creepy florida moms mm-hmm. well and canonically the character of wendy is ultra chaste ultra fucking conservative like gee whiz gee willikers like very, okay, i have things to say on that but yeah go ahead a very sexless this woman a very interesting woman but i have yeah. some things to say so they establish within the first five minutes there's this business the business is going into foreclosure we when know it's going into foreclosure because she got a big letter <laughs> That has giant red impact font that says, uh-huh. you don't have enough money and we're going to take your dad's candy shop away. Signed, Bank Bankman of the bank. <laughs> 
you know, I, I don't know. I think it was like Seth Bankman. It was uh, it was Moisha Juman of Big ba- sure. of the Big Bang family. <laughs> for sure. Um Okay, another aspect for me on this rewatch is, of course, it came out in 2013. I watched it initially in, like, 2016. Watching it again now, I'm like, oh, there's all these little things that are, like, kind of weird and problematic or I feel like would stand out in a different way now. But anyway, so we establish uh, the ex, though, Gracie's father. He's out of the picture. He's never met Gracie. He's at- Okay, can we discuss, actually, that scene when she first walks in the candy shop? for the first time and she walks into her mom on the phone with someone going well he never wanted to see his daughter anyway and he's a piece of what exposition like she just walks in on and i didn't realize at the time it was like oh it's talking about the her baby daddy like i thought this is just how this small town is that like if you walk in, they're getting the gas yeah, on. If you walk in on an old woman on the phone, she's going to be talking about a guy who knocked a lady up and didn't want to see his daughter anyway, and that piece of shit. So the mom is gossiping, says something to the effect of like. You need to live your life, Wendy. Also, it establishes that the original owner of the family candy store, the mm-hmm. father, he's passed away. He's dead. This is his legacy, etc. And then the kid comes back and she's like, take me ice skating. And that's another yep. thing. They always, always go ice skating, no matter what. <laughs> no matter there not being a touch of snow on the ground the entire movie. There's a place to ice skate outside. Real trees versus it's great yeah i just would say again like if you don't have a social scene to watch this movie in and you're friendless and living with your parents okay marla also but i understand why you only watched one half of the movie christmas is cringe christmas is cringe no also (laughs) again you're really jumping down my throat when i again say i understand why this movie rules and i would love to like get drunk with friends and watch this movie. I just don't have any friends. That's a me problem. It's not a you problem. I'm not saying this movie sucks. No, this movie's fucking awesome. Well, look, I'm giving a little it's bit just, of a play-by-play play here. Watch alone. <laughs> so, if you remember the parts, just jump in. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so she needs money, and yep. her well, big no, plan so for her getting money... Her mom wants her to go to the city, city purposely, like very explicitly, yeah. not identified, Cut to phone call. It is again called the city, capital T, capital C. The big city. It's the city. They they all live under the shadow of the city. It is the city. It is the universal city. It is the first city. It is where the cool is. All right, from the suburbs (laughs) to the city, yes. Well, and the way she does this, uh, the way she does this is uh, she calls her best friend Angie. That's introduced via a phone call, and Angie's like, "Hey, the store I work at is hiring for the holidays. Mind you, it is three weeks till Christmas in this plot, and the city's far enough that she has to take a bus to get there. So they pack up." 
They take a bus. They meet Angie in this city. Angie is, she uh, is on Shameless, the actress. So the main character, Wendy, is a white woman. Angie, her best friend, is black. Now, immediately, it's very, like, magical black girl friend. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, like, come stay with me in the city. You guys take my bed. I've been dying to try out the pullout. <laughs> yeah, couch. what the fuck? <laughs> it was it's what? weird, right? Like it, it's overkill. And does that? Like I mean I mean, okay, yeah, oh, you're moving. Also, when and you get off the bus in the city, they immediately see a homeless person. Oh, yeah. Immediately, and they're like, oh, my. Okay, yeah. Actually, can we discuss homeless Santa? Because that was, like, crazy to me. Oh, yes. The second homeless person they see in that montage is someone that she's originally mistaken for a normal to be a Santa. No. Well, he's dressed in a Santa suit. Okay, spoilers aside, and I haven't actually seen this reveal, but I assume this happened. Uh, Santa exists in this universe so she sees a person in a santa suit which in our universe is by definition a santa claus because santa isn't a real thing a santa is whatever is in a santa suit that's what defines a santa so she sees which you would know being the most santa american among us yeah i i am a bit jewish as they say but anyway uh, so she, <laughs> I'm talking about your glorious beard ability. Yeah, okay. that's what I said too. You. But anyway, so they see a Santa and she's like, oh, hi, Santa. And he turns around to reveal himself to be a homeless man to which she recoils in disgust. Which is completely accepted. It's completely, completely like... accepted at the same time her daughter innocently continues on no this is santa mommy why are you disgusted with this santa who's a santa and she's like no get away from him he's poor he's poor for the love of god he's poor <laughs> well and then they get to angie's sad apartment it's a very nice and they have apartment, this whole conversation and they mention that at night yeah, it's, a it's, it's a nice apartment, but they act like it's sad because it's a walk-up and it only has one bedroom. And she doesn't have the time or space for okay. a real Christmas tree. So the daughter asks, why don't you have a Christmas tree? To which Angie says... Oh, for the environment, which isn't a real thing. It's real dumb. Well, I think that establishes like uh, a general politics or a general like right. liberalness of living in the city. Like moving from the suburbs, and it's also like, what's her name? Wendy lives in like a fucking mansion that we didn't establish that well, yet. Because oh yeah, yeah, this small town she comes from is like gorgeous, beautiful, like uh, very quaint, like out of the uh, one of those Thomas Kincaid paintings. Yeah, so that I'm mean, gonna get into like more of the class stuff as we go along, right. but definitely establishes this valuing of quote unquote traditional. Christmas things. And, the city doesn't um, have that. And the no, city and doesn't have it. I but call they this do the Heideggerian themes. I understand this Heideggerian theme that you're talking about, kind of this loss of like modernity. Natural. Modernity has lost the natural world. Yeah, no, it's, it's okay, because she says for the environment or whatever. And you think if you're a normal human watching this movie, you think 
Oh, yeah, that's what I would also tell a child if she came to my one bedroom in New York and asked me why I don't have a grocery. Because, yeah, oh, yeah, to protect the environment or whatever. Sounds better than, like, yeah, having a Christmas tree is a giant cave in the ass. No, no, but that, okay, so I guess we can get into it right now because the absurd thing is she does fucking have a Christmas tree. It's right behind her in the scene. It's just a fake Christmas tree. It's not a real pine tree they went and cracked well, that, it down that, or whatever which this essentially is a class thing already because right. the I'm reason sorry, she doesn't have uh, it's like tree. it's like whether your family thought chinese food was expensive or not um if you had a real tree every year you were kind of a little bit fancy well, I wanna, <laughs> um, the reason she doesn't have a christmas tree is because she lives alone in a single bedroom apartment and why the fuck would you bother like, that's why she doesn't have a Christmas tree. But a five-year-old asks her why she doesn't have a Christmas tree, and she says, oh, to protect the environment, which is fine after a five-year-old. It's not a real thing. And if you're a normal person watching this movie, you think, oh, that's just the answer she gives to a five-year-old. That's not real. But it's well, established sure, throughout sure. the movie then- that's actually the real. Yeah, eight it's more a, times. It comes up yes. over and over again. It, it just comes up the over first and over half again. I saw. Then, it comes up. Continue. Yeah, then they go to the environment. They get to the. Yeah, no, we get. We, yeah. you know, if you have uh, a Christmas tree, that comes from an old growth pine forest, and like that tree is two hundred years old. Be like having a Christmas tree destroys the environment. I want to give an anecdote here, just. I tried to get a Christmas tree like three days ago. Mm-hmm. I tried. I was at work. I was driving around. I was like, oh, let me stop by this corner in downtown Brooklyn. Let me try to buy a Christmas tree. I'm like, hey, how much is this Christmas tree? And they're like $80 <laughs> and $20 yeah. for the stand. Yeah. I never had a real tree the entire time I was a child. We had for most of what I can remember, one fake tree that we pulled out of the attic. I had that as well. I had that as well. And the, the reason I was given was because one of my parents was allergic. My family would say things about like the pets yeah. and whatever. And it is a mess to get the pine needles everywhere. First of all, to get a real tree, it's expensive. But to bring it in and decorate it the way people who really value that do is a somewhat bougie thing. It can definitely be something that working class people partake in, but it's definitely like one of those things that neighbors could differ on. Like you're coming from the same place, but one person is overvalued or obviously I'm coming from a well okay okay but the finish of my Um, story I go across the street there's somebody else who looks like an independent seller of Christmas trees and I'm like okay that other one was attached to a store they've got the expensive trees let me go across the street to this independent vendor who's unattached to the big businesses that are demanding the profit margins. And let me ask if I could get this, you know, side hustle tree. I asked the side hustle tree person, I was like, how much is the tree? 
They're like $120. What the fuck? This is across the street. This is the worst marketplace of Christmas trees that I've ever been on. But fundamentally, a real tree requires it to have been grown for a while and cut down. And you know what I mean? Like, it's quite a bit that goes into a real Christmas tree finding its way eventually to the sidewalk. The the labor Uh, and the farming, it's very much I, I remember that there was like a whole NPR thing that I once stumbled on about like the economics or the struggling like the sapling you have to plant the seeds of the Christmas tree a certain amount and global warming is making it more difficult for them to grow and blah 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 yeah fun fact Taylor Swift earlier in her career kind of played with the notion that uh, she had grown up on a farm in reality her finance Seer father had purchased a Christmas tree farm <laughs> in uh, Pennsylvania. So Taylor Swift. Phony as the tree that the There's, woman in the movie had. I haven't listened to her album, so I have no opinions. <laughs> I just, I just always think that's a funny thing. Is like for a minute she was like, yeah, because she was mm-hmm. doing country in the beginning, you know, and she was kind of like just a simple girl grew up on a farm, and then you look into it, and it's like. <laughs> It's this Christmas tree farm <laughs> that hit her father like bought from one of his clients. It's not even something she necessarily would have been at. Anyway, so we get to the main event, the department store. I like the name of the department store. Walmans. Uh, Walmans. Yeah. It gives like almost a mm-hmm. Woolworths nostalgia. Yeah, like, I feel like. Big business yeah. like tycoons. Yes. So but but what I love about... Yes, the Walmans are wholesome. That gets established. The store has been around for 50 years. They seemingly only have one location, this location in the big city. But have a unseen... Macy's analog... Yes, but it's definitely this one location. It's not as if they are managing whatever. So it's one main location. When we get to the like introduction of Tom, I have a few things because I have a whole fucking theory. So they see this beautiful uh, traditional Christmas window display where the uh, window. They're like, oh, it looks like the inside of a snow. No, it doesn't. It looks like cheap animatronics. Like that's the thing. Like yeah. There's all these little, like, gnome creatures. It's not a very good um, window display. Like, neat. Our main characters are dazzled They're by so it. They're so dead. They look like someone on acid who saw like, so a thing. The, yeah, the, the amount of glassy-eyed stares at a Christmas they, thing it, in this they've movie. They've never is, seen. They've never seen that little spray paint snow oh, stuff. Yeah, which comes up, which is part of my thing with the introduction of Tom. But, but before we get to Tom, our villain arrives. They've never seen yeah. animatronics. They're like literally a pet from the middle ages that you show like a literal like wind up clock to and they're like it moves without any input oh my god this is the grace of god well it's establishing the magicalness of the 
And it's it's hitting a couple notes. They like keep saying the same things again. Real Uh Christmas trees, store displays that look like snow globes, like these little phrases like come up over and over again. So our villain arrives, beautiful, gorgeous Ashanti. What I noticed uh, watching this time is that Ashanti's character is Tiana. Uh, She is a marketing whiz that the board of this company that seemingly has one location has sent Tiana to get sales up, right? And we know she's bad because they play a rather sinister version of every the time from she fairy. walks into a room. Um, you know, which I do like as a trope of Christmas mm-hmm. nefariousness. And then we have our meet cute, which is when we meet Tom, which this is a rom-com lifetime in general trope where our main character has a meet cute with a man that she doesn't know is Mm -hmm. your boss. This is what happens. They make eye contact. And this part is where the true fantasy of this Mm -hmm. movie begins. Once it's established that this is indeed Tom Woolman, and he is the de facto person who's like running it. His uncle's the owner of Woolman's, et cetera. But somehow he's powerless against the board. I don't know. Oh, I have a lot (laughs) Um, to say about that. But the first true fantasy gets introduced, which is Woolman's is this family first business that not only gives Christmas bonuses even to their temporary seasonal employees, but also provides daycare immediately. Yeah, no, they love and their company daycare. He. Yes. So immediately it's revealed, oh, he's woman. And he's like, oh, great. You want to work here? Can you start today? And she's like, yes, I can start today. And yes, I need daycare. And I'm like, this is the most fantastical (laughs) portion of the entire premise is that this company traditionally is doing these things. So I, right away, it introduces what I think is kind of a classic Christmas trope, which is some entity representing kind of a Mm -hmm. good capitalism. In the character of Tiana, we have the bad capitalism. Immediately, she wants to put the most expensive toys on the children's eye level, which is in opposition to this whole, like, oh, Walmans really takes care of its employees. I I have Uh, just a thing on this, though. When she first meets Tom Walman, he comes up to her and they're, like, talking, and he's like, oh, what do you think of the store? And this is a very common thing that I see from her a lot. She goes off like a personal cocaine about how oh my god the christmas display looks like a fucking snow globe and blah 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 blah. and where do you get this snow from and he responds with i don't know where the snow comes from i think a truck or something like he doesn't actually seem to give a shit about any of and i think that's a factor of the actors oh yeah the acting is very flat A lot of interesting line moves. Because this becomes a thing with Tom, and it leads into my favorite scene, which comes later, but where he doesn't actually seem to give a shit. He doesn't actually seem to care about Christmas. It seems like his main thing is, one, he does care a bit about the employees, which is why he likes the Christmas bonuses and why he likes the employee daycare. (laughs) 
he likes his uh, family's legacy, it seems, a little bit. So he keeps relating it because all of those points he relates back to being like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And maybe... You didn't clock this, but he does kind of bring up more than once that, oh, when I was young, Walmans just seemed so magical. And I was always hanging out with my uncle here. <laughs> but I no, you're right. There is sort of like, does there, he really but, care about Christmas? That arguing. is kind of part of his... With that is part of like what we're supposed like, to be When he's arguing with Ashanti, yeah. he seems to not be making arguments about the goodness of Christmas. He seems to be making making very reasonable arguments that Ashanti is Ooh. not actually good at marketing. I pulled... Because that's a- yeah, which this is the funniest aspect is she's yeah. excellent at marketing. She accomplishes what she's supposed to do, but they have this argument at the beginning where she's like, I'm going to put the most expensive right. toys at the children's eye level. And he responds, no, we put the most right, which popular are toys on the children's eye level, which are both capitalist arguments. The good capitalism is supposed to be populist. Well, he's arguing with a chassis, though. It's like his arguments are, well, it's literally Christmas and maybe we should have some candy canes in the store. She's built up. Well, and then she's trying to introduce her new idea, which is the boogie Santa, the sexy Santas. And I got to say, immediately, the people seem to love it. Everybody but Tom and our main characters seem to fucking be okay with the techno music and the sexy Santas. uh, At least at first. Oh, what about the spirit of Christmas? And Nishani's like, well, shopping's the spirit of Christmas. And like that played as like a bad thing. It's like, well, you run a fucking department store. Exactly, but that's what's literally so funny shopping is, the is that of they're riding this line. Yeah, it's yeah, dynamic exactly. cooperating. Um, but, uh, you absolutely have get, a department store. Well, and then we do get the introduction of Nick, the Santa working in the department store. Twinkle, yeah, winkle, winkle. Yeah, I was like, this dude's uh, <laughs> 100% actually. Yeah, he busts in and he's like, this music, this techno music, right? This music's not like any carol I've ever heard. And then he goes on a diatribe, um, your classic weird secular Christmas diatribe that the reason for the season is giving and not getting. And I don't see what that has to do with Sexy Santa. Like, why can't we have techno and Sexy Santa? Why why does that beget focusing more on getting, right? So I have a lot of fundamental arguments with these things. Also, did you notice what Tiana's last name is? It's Musk. Musk. I just, so I'm not convinced Tom actually cares about Christmas. I feel like most of his arguments are essentially... We're a department store, and I legitimately just uh, disagree with you about the marketing value. You know, like, yes, we should be family-friendly because we're a department store during Christmas. That's the point. Yeah, like, it's it's really funny. They're, they're all making these like, weird, he's not almost, making these, like, like, moralist Yeah, he's not making a moralist argument. He's making an argument of, no, in order to make more money during Christmas... As a department store, we ought to do dumb Christmas tropes and appeal to families who want to do Christmas shopping because it's Christmas and we're a department store. 
But that's the whole thing is that Tiana is trying to encourage more shopping in, with her methods. Whatever they are, they just are not traditional, sentimental, Christmassy things. They're slick. They're sleek. Uh, okay, I have, uh, I have a whatever. way of um, But I also think it's weird the tone of when Tom complains about Tiana well, I just is like a little weird. She I, doesn't belong like, here. Ebenezer Scrooge, but like Ebenezer Scrooge made sense because he owns a bank and you don't actually need to like Christmas to own a bank. But if you run a department store, you do literally need to like Christmas. Like that's part of the way you make money. Mm -hmm. And it's a big way you make money. Well, she's just just but about like, making right, money, I, right? Listen, listen. So she wants I, to... I, uh, yeah, go Steve. Let's Steve. I thought she represented austerity and neoliberal... Mm -hmm kind of cuts yes. to these kind of New Deal era, traditional 50s, post-war era relics that are representational in our, like, unconscious. Oh, I wouldn't even say that. I say she's like the she's, 1980s. Right. She's like... Which is austerity. Like yeah, a, which is in a power suit. Which is, of which course, is the era of right. austerity. And she you're also right. replaces right. this traditional mode of economy, which is we need the most popular thing to be sold so that people buy the most of one thing with the sexiest, most expensive thing. And, you know, I'm throwing this out there, but I couldn't help but thinking of the libidinal economy where mm -hmm. this kind of equation of bringing somebody's projected libido into the marketing of products and they called it and i looked it up it's the micro politics of desire advocates revolutionary change in practices of everyday life as a way of providing the preconditions for a new society and i think that kind of summarizes her marketing which is a direct affront to this kind of heideggerian what, what we perceive as the natural capitalism the product of the 1950s singing carols going through the rituals having santa claus the spirit of christmas that is passed from one generation to another is directly in conflict with this new austerity cutting of measures anti-human well yeah anti-human pro-artificial exactly. that's pro that's the conflict they're setting up and i yeah pro-artificial everything she represents is sort of seen as suspicious or bad what, marketing and oh, what oh. better is a better representation of the libidinal economy than just pasting pictures of naked people in every corner of the store yeah. She wants to cut the bonuses. She wants to cut the daycare right out the bat. She's like, of Which course, again, of course is, is what we do. It has nothing to do with um, marketing or sales. Exactly. You're brought into uh, like increased I don't know, sales. I don't know much about that how doesn't a board operates. talk about employee benefits. I do want to pause here and say uh, there are a number of clues we get about our main character, Wendy, being a good girl in this rom-com Christmas universe. It is implied that she has remained somewhat abstinent for the five years that the baby's father has been absent. Of course, she's from a small town. She likes traditional Christmas things, you know, obviously likes Tom, but he's her boss. So she's got these standards. That's how we know she is good. The way we know 
Tiana is bad is all of the aforementioned things, but also how she treats her assistant bodyguard. Who's Bruno. the best character in this entire movie? Yeah, yeah. Um, which initially you're like, the R word. We need to establish Also, I want to say every one of Ashanti's outfits as Tiana in this movie 100% would wear. They're great. Wendy, the main character, there's so much like mustiness around all these tropes. But it's also like this example of what is ultimately most Christmas content is, you know, this pro-capitalist propaganda in America. But they like to do this thing where they pretend it's actually critical of consumerism. Oh, it's against selfishness. This is the most Heideggerian movie I've ever seen since the time I watched Triumph. And then we have this, I guess, uh, intended to be romantic scene where Wendy comes upon Tom playing the piano after hours. Right. Um, oh, my God. In the okay, store. Well, okay, this, she, also uh, this is the first super cringe. No, this, this is the is first the second super cringe. Super cringe. The first super cringe. No, no, no. Everything's got a layer of cringe, but this is my first okay. super cringe because it's got the. No, singing. but we're forgetting oh. the part where I forget her name now. Best friend, black woman. Angie. Angie, black woman, also sang earlier. That's true. Oh, yeah. She sang Toyland every song. Mm-hmm. It's a bizarre yeah. fucking choice. Oh, right? It's bizarre by Christmas movie standards. It's super weird. So yes, you're right. The first one we get, but I say it's an yeah, it's funny, because like, the character off. of Angie is supposed to be an actor, a musical theater actress. So it's like, oh, there's something she's performing for the kids, blah, blah, blah. It's not like two people in their normal lives are spontaneously singing Christmas carols, which is what we get in this piano scene. And she says like, she has this memory about all singing the first Noel, which is another strange choice, I think, as A Christmas Carol goes. Then they just sing it full out. Like Like three verses. They did three verses. Uh, (laughs) Oh my God, it's so long. It's so long. It's just got such big dork energy, you know? Like, it's very church camp vibes. But what I thought was funny is that she brings up the first Noel and she's like, oh, and we would like sing it and like blah, blah, blah. And he'd be like, the first Noel, oh, this? And he starts playing it on the piano and she's like, you know it? Like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) He was already playing like classic Christmas carols when you walked in on him. You know it? Oh my. Uh, But yes, they sing like three verses and the first Noel is also like, one of these Christmas carols that is... you call it the first Noel and not Jesus-y. just the Noel Noel song, you're a member of Westboro Baptist Church. I had no okay. knowledge that that was actually called the first Noel. That is bizarre to me that any mm-hmm. human would. Anyone in a choir would have been. It's about yeah, the, the first Noel. Um, <laughs> so then more Ashanti changes happen. More Christmas they trees become pink Christmas, pink Christmas trees. Christmas. And yes, pink Christmas trees are definitely that not is it. It's said at one point. It is. So then you have this like scene where they have this song and they kind of almost kiss, but then they don't. They're interrupted by Ashanti. The yeah, uncles the uncle also, they were like Ashanti and the uncle were just watching them like creeps so yeah they get interrupted and then so then we see kind of a montage of more changes yeah so then we get like a bunch more changes tiana couldn't get 
daycare scrapped entirely. So she got it cut down. There's a scene where Bruno comes in and fires one of the daycare ladies and she leaves in tears. But then they start using the daycare as an indoctrination, uh, like a re-education place. They play this music video for the kids. Postmodernism is hypnotizing Uh, your children. You can't trust Santa to make you cool. You got to buy what you need to be cool at school. Bye, bye, bye. The latest toys. That's actually a better critique of postmodernism than Jordan Peterson has ever given in this <laughs> but yes, over and over again, there's a line where they're like, never tell Santa like we did last year. <laughs> so not only are they being like, bye, bye toys, they're like, don't fucking tell Santa what you want. Like as if these things are in conflict, which I love. There's another meeting of Wendy and Tom and they go to the playground where the ice rink used to be, but they paved over it. I think uh, Grace, the kid, goes down the one slide that's left in the daycare as well. So there's like a couple moments where they're they're just like lonely playing with one thing. It's very funny. Also, the new Santas, they've got a bunch of shirtless guys, but the female sexy Santas are not actually... No, it's all men that that are the sexy ones. It's all the men that are the really sexy. I feel like there's like all this latent homophobia. Well, it's a very patriarchal movie, Uh, which I want to talk about in a bit. And all these children are like unattended. Uh, and they already established that one of the kids yeah, that's, 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 kids that's, that's, so somebody no, shops a That's lot one of my favorite things about this. Yeah. Literally, if you're just a customer, you can also use the like the, yeah, no, that like place honestly rocks. Exactly. Like like I'm saying, that is the most fantastical point. This well established department store would have all of these very well, uh, I like that. I like that it almost establishes um, that the person never leaves. That there's an eternalness to this consumer. Does your and that work she, here? No, she just shops mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, she says <laughs> she stays for shopping. like sixteen hours at a yeah. time from the beginning when it opens to yeah. the time that it closes. She is the eternal, and he is the abandoned child of the eternal shopper. Yeah, but that's like not. Wait, wait, we never see. We never yeah, get to but know these that's kids are And uh, <laughs> in the spirit of Christmas, uh, unlike marketing, which is not in the spirit true. of Christmas. What I think is funny is that all of this pro consumerist uh, marketing, uh, whatever that Tiana's doing, seemingly works. They are just selling shit like gangbusters. But again, like hand over fist. Just has to say um, what I did Tom notice a There was has been advocating for is also marketing you know yeah. okay we get yeah. back to the first meeting and where it's like oh do you like our store oh yeah no the window display and where'd you get that snow that snow is just so magical i don't know we got it off a truck like he doesn't give a fuck about any of this yeah, because he needs to meet but Wendy and Wendy's going to show him and uh, reintroduce him to his Christmas, Christmas spirit. spirit. His problem with Ashanti is literally he just thinks Ashanti's a fucking moron and kind of rightfully so. 
it kind of comes off weird and kind of racist. <laughs> like, just the way they, the <laughs> amount of times they say she doesn't belong here. <laughs> it's a little weird. There, there is a moment, though, that I thought was interesting where the character of Angie, when it is really busy, pointedly says Merry Christmas behind the counter. And I felt like that was supposed to be meaningful in, in this 2013 movie. So then we get to the plot point where Tom surprises them with a real Christmas tree. They get to have the real Christmas tree. And even Angie, who said, oh, she didn't want it or whatever, is delighted to have the real Christmas tree in her house. And then there's a conversation that Wendy has, again, with Nick, the Santa Claus, where it's the first time it's pretty much established that he is indeed the real Santa Claus. Which I like because it's not necessarily that important to the overall plot of this movie that Santa Claus be real. But he is. And he's chosen this particular store in the city to work this year. Oh, that's how we know there's a couple other cities that the city isn't. Because Santa mentions he's worked uh, the past two years. He was in Vancouver and before that in Moscow. Yeah, no, literally. a different mall we, to work this in. This is the, the real first Santa. we're introduced to the mall Santa where he's like, oh yeah, no, I'm just the mall Santa literally all over the world. Yeah, yeah. We introduced him earlier, but this no, is the no, first the indication first, that he's no, the, the real Santa Claus or somewhat magical. That, yeah, you're right. No, sorry. That's the second time we were introduced to him. Where she's talking to him mm-hmm. and it's like, oh yeah, last year I was a mall Santa in Moscow. And it's like, I don't think that's how that what? I don't yeah, think they do no, that. Yeah, they, they got have, Baba Yaga like, over there. Father Christmas, uh, <laughs> but it has this like name in Russian that's like the dark one. <laughs> yeah. So that happens right around when they go see Angie's play. And this is just a little caveat is that Angie's in a musical of the Christmas Carol, but then they mention that there's a <laughs> snow queen <laughs> character. <laughs> I loved that. And then, oh, Angie gets some bad news. They're going to cancel the play because it had low attendance. And they said nobody wants to see a Christmas play at Christmas, which was a particularly funny line to me because I was like, when else would you ever want to see a Christmas play? On this movie, and my issue with the general conflict, where I don't think Tom actually cares about Christmas, I think it's more this weird assumption that they're not against consumerism. They just simply think that there's this assumption by stores that there's good marketing Christmas at Christmas time is somehow not profitable. That's the thing they continuously assume. That's what they're implying. Like the wholesomeness of it is this big negativity. Except the fact that, um, I mean, to use like a Mark Fisher thing about Kurt Cobain is it's almost cliche to point out that Christmas is in fact consumerist. It's extremely cliche to point that out. But this movie seems to require me to point out that Christmas itself their whole thing of what they consider wholesome against quote-unquote consumerism is also consumerism. Their whole like, deal is, mm-hmm. oh, in our department store, we should have candy cane displays on December 14th. Well, I just want to uh, put it out there that all of the things that any 
reasonable modern living person would associate with like classic Christmas traditions are like 150 years old at best. The combination of like these little aspects of different pagan things and whatever. I love the real American mythology of it. Christmas almost being its own entity unto itself. Santa talks about having Christmas face and he says the phrase Christmas face. And I, I just felt like that was such an emblematic phrase of something that pops up in well, Christmas content where you might mention Jesus right. or like whatever, but it's like detached from the actual religious story. And it's about these like more amorphous concepts of giving and faith and, you know, these very sentimental things. And um, well, I want to interject and I, say that uh, a lot of this is, you just- know, similar to It's a Wonderful Life or the retelling of It's a Wonderful Life in that even in It's a Wonderful Life, there was this kind of push and pull between good small business capitalism and the large corporations that were swallowing up small businesses. And this movie, interestingly, inverts that or at least moralizes where the big business yes um, where the big business is the good guy for swall and, and saves the small business by allowing for the small business to become a department in the store that's That's also a funny part is that her dead father's candy store that's a foregone conclusion even Santa can't fucking save it as the movie goes on Ashanti has now reached another echelon of replacing the classic Christmas stuff she's now fired Santa Claus from the store and she also does a little bit of sneaky sneakiness and this is where she's like a more explicit villain and she tries to set Wendy up for theft, she plants the whole deposit bag, which I'm like, Tiana, if you were smart, you would take some of that cash out and put it in her bag. She takes the whole deposit bag, puts it in her bag, etc., and tries to contrive this thing. It doesn't really it's work. Only, it's like, only it's a thing that would work in like, apparent. it's a wonderful life. Or like in the 1940s when there wasn't video yeah. cameras on every single inch of a department store. Yeah, so she's literally not touched the deposit bag it's untouched in her bag whatever but here's where the next rom-com trope comes in where we have the betrayal the man betrays our heroine and the way Tom betrays Wendy is she finds out he signed off firing of Santa Claus. Okay, can I real mm-hmm. quick discuss my favorite scene because we're past it now. I, I stopped watching it before they actually were romantically involved. So it's the first time that Tom drops her off in the car. Yeah. They pull up to the apartment and it's like, oh, this is where you live. And she's like, oh yeah, this is where I live with like my friend or whatever. And actually she doesn't have a Christmas tree because of the environment, which I alluded to earlier I'm obsessed with because that's not a real thing that's just the thing you tell a fucking child but like we're in this movie's universe taking that aspect seriously that 
that like there is a contingent of people who refuse to have Christmas trees because cutting down a Christmas tree is cruel to the Christmas tree. And she like just goes off on this like fucking manic spiel about her friend and Christmas trees and real Christmas trees versus fake Christmas trees. Very Hungarian. Yes, and she's like, don't you just think that real Christmas is a real Christmas tree? And she goes off on this. And the type of movie it is, you think the thing that's coming next, this is the part where the lady is enamored by this dude and she's like manically nervous trying to fill in awkward silence by like talking about nonsensical bullshit at a fucking cokehead's pace and the guy is going to interrupt this by kissing her in the mid-sentence like you think that's the part of this movie because that's a scene that happens in these kinds of movies but instead tom listens to her and Mm -hmm. then just goes yeah i agree just like listens to this whole long spiel and then just is like oh yeah fake christmas trees real christmas trees i know what you're talking and seems very disinterested in the whole thing but just it ends with him just like ostensibly agreeing with her like very strong political opinion about real versus fake Christmas. Well, our male protagonist in these films is a empty, vacuous being who needs to be come, filled up come, with say, say come, say come. cinnamon goodness by, yeah, yes, warm cinnamon come by these nice small town ladies. That is a fixture of this overall situation. But the problem also is, Marlo, is that actors in this film are terribly uneven. Some of them are decent actors and others of them are not. (laughs) Um, So you've got some really wonky Oh yeah, no, okay, so the main actress I feel like is a very high school theater club read. A lot of the time, she's very much just like Read your lines and do the enunciations that make it sound like your character is into this shit. She has some wild and, eyes. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, and there, there, she does that glassy-eyed thing. And again, going back to her being like uber chaste, she refuses to kiss this man in all like plausible scenarios. When she's in that scene in the car that you were mentioning, Marlo, they kind of almost seem like they're going to, and then she's like, oh, she's right upstairs. And I'm like, okay, bitch, stop acting well, like- I was expecting him out. to kiss like, her. Like, I was seriously, like, I was relax. expecting- I was she, expecting No, she kind of stops it. Like, it's, it's, it's this- like, like, I thought the dynamic of that scene was literally like, Oh, this guy is cute. I'm nervous. I don't know what to do. Uh, Christmas trees. I'll talk about Christmas trees. But the movie plays her position on Christmas trees, not as a nervous tick, but as a quintessentially important thing she is A fundamental aspect. Like 100%, this is the most important thing she has ever talked about in her life. Pine. It does smell good. So Marlo, uh, now we're going to get to fill you in on what you missed. So after this uh, sort of betrayal of Tom signing off on the real Santa, which the reason she finds out 
that Santa has been fired is because she goes to the daycare and finds out the neglected kid with the shopping mom has never visited Santa the entire time he's been there. So she (laughs) kidnaps this strange child she doesn't know and have any authority to take anywhere and takes him to the toy section to meet Santa, right? And then upon arriving, she finds out, oh my God, he's been fired. But I love that they Never follow this up, right? But the that's Santa, where she works. But the daycare isn't she another. Know the part Santa of has story. been fired because okay. she didn't yet that day. Just let us tell you the rest of the fucking movie. <laughs> so yeah, this is a particularly funny part to me that she just like does, just takes this kid, doesn't ask anybody, yeah, no, God doesn't look for anybody to ask. There's no sign like out sheet, just whatever. Yeah. So then all of these things happen, and she has another conversation with Santa. Right? She's like bummed out. She's like on a park bench. Santa shows up again. And this is where we affirm that this is the real Santa. He tells her. Now, this is the only place where he really serves the plot, I guess, where he essentially tells her that what her dead father's last Christmas wish was. (laughs) And it was for her to follow her dreams. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine you didn't save the store. And that means sucking that guy's, rich guy's dick. That's the dream. So then they go back. She gets, like, empowered by this conversation. And then there's a coming together where our main characters are like, who wants to take back Christmas? And what I noticed about this, like, third act stuff is, like, all of our main characters, like, fucking love a store. (laughs) Like, so much. It's very funny. They turn... Turn Tiana's bodyguard. Another betrayal. Oh, that's uh, awesome shit. I need to watch the rest of this. He comes over to their side. He's the most wonderful himbo in film. And then the entire... He's a great himbo. Meanwhile... All of these events have happened within three weeks. Got to emphasize this again. So they attack this sexy Santa display and re-put up the more traditional Mm -hmm. Christmas display overnight. Uh, Also, Shanti has not only schemed to make it seem like Wendy was stealing, but she was somehow getting the board to get her to replace Tom's uncle. There was a fax that came in that said this. I love it because I don't believe this is how any of these business uh, entities work. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think... Anyway, Tiana is not taking it lying down. She gets there. She realizes they've turned back all of her Christmas displays. Bruno has turned on her. Then she tries to fight back, and she turns on the techno, the sexy Santa techno video. Then Angie... And it's like, mm-t, mm-t, the mm-t. revolution. And then Angie fights happens. back with our That's last cringe song. Happens. Was it um, Hark the Herald Angels Sing? Again, it's an overly Jesus y. Or, oh, come all ye faithful. Oh, come all ye faithful. That's what it is. Funny part is, again, it's overly Jesus-y for a relatively secular Christmas film. But no way that many random people in the crowd all the words to that Christmas carol. But they do. And they sing it so loud. So it's basically that scene from Playing the sexy Santa techno. And... (laughs) <laughs> yes, it's exactly like that. 
So they win by overpowering this. Ashanti gets very mad and she throws a Christmas wreath and they all gasp dramatically at her gauche display. And then I believe uh, Tom's uncle comes in and is like, get the get out of here. I'm taking back over the store. How did I'm you, just like, you couldn't really... tell this the whole time? There's a bunch of fucking B plot with the investors and all this. I'm just had cannon filling this in bullshit, with which I love when uh, where the guy goes, You're fired. Mm-hmm. Yes. But then Wendy takes Gracie after this glorious triumph back to their small town. Quinton somewhere is the name of the town. Kind of just takes off, just goes back to her mom and the small town and the ice skating rink. Takes the kid out for the traditional going ice skating oh, on yes. Christmas. And you, mom, you better have that cider you, ready. You walk in the door. And you slave mother. When we walk in the door. Yeah, you, you better have it when walk in the door because that's the fun part. I know, just the tyranny of, of, of people trying to maintain a Christmas cheer. I think we should call the episode that. The tyranny of people trying to maintain Christmas cheer. I, I love that. To call it, there ain't no love in the heart of the city. <laughs> and also, my suggestion for our playout music is Flute of the Commodores living in the city. So, yeah, have the cider ready or whatever. So then they go out to the ice skating rink, and oh my gosh, she runs into Tom. She didn't tell Tom she was leaving, she just <laughs> left the city went back to her small town and he's had to track her down here and he runs into her in front of the old candy shop and then tells her that he's gonna give her a department in woman's they're starting a candy department and they'd like her to run it which brings us to our final beautiful trope of the lifetime christmas rom-com is that yeah but like it's even more insidious than that because that's like oh this ending is definitely more insidious than that because again the kid says a couple creepy things like like She's so invested in her mom getting the cornerstone of the community, which was this brick and mortar store that existed in a certain place at a certain time. It doesn't make sense if Mm -hmm. now all the fucking bumpkins from your hometown are like, oh yeah, that store doesn't exist anymore, but you can like go to the city and like see it in Macy's. Like it's seriously like this fucking simulacra fucking thing, right? Yeah, and I definitely think the ending has its own more sophisticated bit of cringe. So we have the beautiful ending. It's implied that now there's the happy ending. Tom and Wendy are ending up together. Gracie is still like, I'm trying to go skating. And earlier in the film, Wendy had established that on Christmas, the tradition was to go to the ice skating rink, but she's really bad at skating, so her dad always had to help her skate around but her daughter Gracie's actually like really great and is like doing a ton of tricks and whatever the end scene is essentially just this of Tom now replacing her father as the person who holds her hand when she skates on Christmas Um, it's so creepy there's a number this is my major no there's a number of patriarchal exchanges in this movie 
First, the dead father owning the candy store, passing it down to Wendy, who then loses the candy store. There's the uncle who owns the Woolmans, who's passing it down to Tom. And then there's Father Christmas, Santa, who is passing down her father's wish to Wendy, who is then passing the spirit of Christmas to Grace, implying another generation of the spirit of Christmas being realized or continuing to go forward. And then this comedy is that, yes, Tom replaces the father, takes the candy store, installs it as a department in his store, and Santa is also there to kind of facilitate this mystical, spiritual, well, this spirit of Christmas, which eventually just becomes a way of capitalism being able to produce itself by generational wealth and maintaining this kind of dictatorship of the bourgeoisie that kind of moves the entire plot forward. The entire plot is about these absent patriarchs and then exchanging that for this future generation to maintain the capitalism, good, bad, or otherwise. I just find there's so much mention about the father. Mm-hmm. She That's wants why she to wants hold to hold on, to, on the to, store. to the store. She wants to find like... a replacement in Tom as this kind of love interest slash like person to inherit the store who eventually inherits the store. Yeah, I was especially creeped out at the it was like almost like a beat for beat like recreation of the story she had told earlier in the movie about her father. Like Tom takes her hand and she's all clumsy on the ice and I'm like this is weird. Like I'm sorry, bitch. You You have learned to ice skate at this point. You don't have two left feet or alternatively you've decided you don't give a shit Uh, about that ice skating, which is also a fine thing for an adult. That's a valid, but this is a character whose daughter is obsessed with ice skating, is good enough at ice skating that she does tricks. And at least we know Wendy goes at least once a year to ice skate herself. So uh, despite having her two left feet. Um, That's another rom-com trope. That's her fulfilling the clumsy, pretty woman. What do you think about the Father Christmas? She's not really clumsy anymore. The spirit of Santa, you know, the implied actual Santa, replacing the patriarch of the father and endowing... Wendy with the gift of the father's blessing. Yes. Well, what struck me on the rewatch was that initially the first time I had watched this movie. It's not unnecessary. It It is integral. Santa Claus be real. But now I see how integral it was because without Santa being real, we don't have any confirmation of what the dead father well, would have done. Santa wanted. becomes the replacement. It's the only father. way Wendy can and move on. But he also can confirm what her father's last Christmas witch was, which absolves her of this guilt she carries around that she's got to keep the store afloat. We never get any details about the promise she actually yes, they literally do. made her father in living life they reference it but we don't understand i'm assuming is that yes dad i will live my life of that promise were which is the reflection of the wish of the father no but it is if i eventually have to require a magical fairy to tell them that i want them to live their lives that's a failure on your part like what the fuck else do you want for your children fuck off but you know your dad actually wanted you to be happy no fucking way really shit 
thought he wanted me to be miserable. Well, I mean, that is kind of what she seems to think until Santa can confirm for her. And I guess give her, like you're saying, that... Uh, also, that, like, I will patri- say... Patriarchal heard, like, uh, you guys refer to It's a Wonderful Life a few times. But honestly, this kind of seems to me the more obvious comparison is Miracle on 34th Street, which yes. is a movie that is premised on the fact that Actually, department apartment stores store, are yeah. literally magical and metaphysically represent the Christmas spirit. Like, well, I was only referencing It's a Wonderful Life to because say that that's the boil. Yeah, that's where we get these traditions. But I would say that actually, now that I've developed a whole fucking dialectical theory of classic <laughs> Christmas movies, which is that Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street <laughs> and It's a Wonderful Life operate on this oppositional dialectic between the two where Miracle on 34th Street is essentially saying that no, in fact, big business is what the Christmas spirit is. That's where the magic of Christmas comes from is gigantic faceless corporations and you should embrace that. And love them. Yeah, and that they kind of, without them, then there's this... There is no Christmas kind of, tradition. The well, Christmas not only is there no is Christmas, but Christmas is decayed. I think Christmas still exists as a thought, but it's decayed, it's fluid, it's this artifice. Well, no, they could lose Christmas. They could lose it. Like, there's this pretense that real Christmas is a thing that exists, and it's five, gingerbread and, and candy only five songs and that are sung. fake snow and, and like, real trees. Okay. Yeah. But they could lose it to sexy Santas if they don't watch out. That is the but where does, warning. But where does love movie. actually come into this dialectic? <laughs> well, here's the thing. Love actually is, <laughs> is more prestige Christmas rom-com situation. Which it's is also extremely one of those like, storyline holiday things. I will say yeah. only but ever it, seen Love Actually. All of those in that particular we genre, can't. We can't get into Love Actually. No, we we already because so long. I would I nobody does. I don't know uh, either. Yeah. I've seen that movie three times, and all three times I was either coming up <laughs> on or coming down from an acid trip. In college. <laughs> oh, I'm going to do a bunch of, I'm going to do a bunch of and, and watch it. Not tripping. Uh, I say we do a post Christmas show and we hit Love Actually and also no, my holiday no, favorite song. Okay, my, my theory. You don't have my, to watch it. We can ju- you know what it's fucking is. You make no, sure it's right. But you Sorry. You will have wait, to wait, listen wait. to I the have song a theory. Christmas shoes. That is <laughs> that's, I, I, I think Love Actually is underwritten so by American Airlines or United Airlines to get people back onto planes after 9-11. There's not only a lot of flying, but they mention 9-11 a bunch of of times, and then the end of the movie is just completely takes place in an airport terminal. Mm Mm-hmm. 
It sure does. That's it. That's yeah. that's the only that, message that, there, that I can get from the there, movie. There's uh, nothing about yeah, love. I, there's nothing about British politics. It's just go on the planes. I know. Emma Thompson in that movie is wearing a fat suit, strangely, to make her more frumpy. It's one of those movies right, that... Right, we're, we're getting, we're getting off. Watch, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry for bringing that up. In passing. Yeah, yeah, we get... But it's one of those oh, movies you watch in watch passing and then watch again, again and be like, oh, God. Like it's love, actually. I actually consider Casablanca <laughs> Christmas. Oh, my God. I think that's actually fair. Yeah, sure, whatever. That's fair. It is... No, I do unironically <laughs> consider it one of the most quintessential anti-fascist leftist films of our time, of any time. Really. That's fair. I say, yeah, okay, we're going to do more movies next week. There's a part where Ashanti says the word mausoleum, but she says it mausoleum. <laughs> Anyway. Look, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're very long. Have a cool you up. Mommy, what is that? Oh, it's a man with his shirt off. I gotta go to work. Let's go. Oh, no, and you can't trust Santa to make you cool. You gotta buy what you need to be cool at school. Hey.